Welcome to a special edition of the Macworld Podcast, recorded at our Macworld Live stage at San Francisco's Macworld iWorld Show. As part of these podcasts, you'll hear interviews with some of the best and brightest in the Apple industry. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, welcome back to the Macworld Live stage. On day two of Macworld iWorld, or to old-timers, Macworld Expo, same thing. And uh, we are joined today by a stellar, stellar cast here of, of people in digital publishing. Uh, to my right is Ms. Tanya Angst of Take Control. Hi, everybody. <laughs> the polite thing to do is applaud loudly. Yes, thank you. Uh, if she can't get the applause, what do we stand a chance That's for? That's right. So? And this mug next to her, uh, <laughs> Mr. Adam Angst. Thank you. And then finally, Mr. Joe Kissel. And I'm Chris Breen from Macworld. You don't have to applaud for me. I just, I'm just up here earning much paycheck. Um, we, we got together last year, some of us got together last year to talk about di- digital publishing. And it's not that it's such a new thing, but it really is kind of coming into its own now, where the idea for many of us purchasing paper books is quaint. Uh, how many of you are, are purchasing ebooks now versus paper? Those of you, paper, paper mm-hmm. folks? And those of you, the rest of you have no arms. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Everybody here is, has been doing digital publishing for quite some time and are kind of on the forefront of it. And I wanted to, one, because they've, they came from the paper world back in the day and have now moved into digital, I wanted to talk some about where we've come from, where we are today, and where we're going. So first I'd like to start with Adam, because Adam, when did Tidbits first <laughs> launch? April of 1990. So we're coming up on 24 years. Okay, so in they, those days, your distribution was what? Um, initial, well, Tidbits for the first two years was a hypercard stack, first of all. Hypercard. 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 Oh, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Just had to jog it free. Uh, so, yes, hypercard stack, and, and we, we sent it out via email. Uh, we actually, it was quite amusing. This was, this was before email worked all that well. So, in fact, our second or third issue of Tidbits... We were using Cornell's mainframes to send it out, and uh, we got a panicked call from the, or actually Tanya got a panicked call from the operators at Cornell because the issue of tidbits, we'd gone over 256 people in the address line. Um, I think computer only goes up to 256. Yeah, 256. It's one of those numbers. When you go over 256, things break. But what we broke was a Navy computer in San Diego. Ooh. And we were defenseless because of you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, and keep in mind, this was not long after the Robert Morris worm, the, one of the very first internet worms, uh, which had come from Cornell. So Cornell was a little under suspicion anyway. Right. And I'm like, no, it's just a, well, it's just tactics. It's bin hex. It's no, well, it's a hypercard stack, but yeah. So. Actually, just interject, I was like, you should talk to my boyfriend about that. <laughs> you weren't married at this point. Right. So. <laughs> it was a little embarrassing to sort of refer the thing to my boyfriend, but that's So today, happened. though, the NSA would be all over you, right? Yeah. Well, today the NSA would be, oh, it's just a hypergrowth tax. So. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this whole NSA as service provider. Yeah. Oh. So I think they need to do things for us. I mean, if they've Versus got all the data, us. backup. I mean, 
I mean, am I right? You know that. Well, it's been tried. You yeah. know. People have tried to, you know, say, "Hey, NSA, I lost this file. Could I know you have a backup? Could I please have it back?" And they haven't been very responsive to that. The problem is the Freedom of Information Act requests take too long. That's right. Oh, to get your backup. Yeah, so this that's... is not the most efficient way to backup, no, although it no. may be the most thorough. <laughs> it's the simplest. There's no software to install. You just... And it pretty much backs up everything. It really does. Every Absolutely part of your everything. life, including images and, um, and movies. So, so, so yes, in the early days, Tidbits was, was distributed purely via email. Um, and then we, we started expanding. Because um, uh, for those who remember, this was back in the days of online services. CompuServe, AOL, Genie, Bix, Delphi... Um, and on the internet, we used Usenet News um, through the CompSysMac Digest News Group. So back in those days, you tried for sort of all the possible ways you could because there was no single way. And eventually, you know, in probably, well, 1993 is sort of when it became a little bit more real, but our first website came online in around 1996 okay. um, thanks to a friend at Dartmouth College who actually put it online for us. Right. So, and, um, you know, and then slowly the other things sort of fell away, and nowadays um, it, it's still web, and actually a, a huge amount of email for us. You know, we still have a very, very large mailing list, too, and people who really want to get tidbits in their email every day. Well, and at that point, because this was at the time that I was just starting out, and you were a book author, a, you know, a serious book author. You had, like, <laughs> a big yellow book, and it's like, a big ooh, yellow book. Adam Angst is like, and I think there were, like, floppies it, in there, too. The, the you, secret was it was padded. What? Yeah, we had lists of all the new Usenet news groups so we could get another extra 50 <laughs> pages in the back and stuff like that. Big books sold better because they had more shelf space. Has the statute of limitations run out on my <laughs> refund? Because I still have some of those books and I kind of feel like I should... No? Just, yeah, just saying. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, and then, Joe, as a, as a paper guy, yeah. where did you start as a paper guy? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Well, Joe okay. has such good books. My my first uh, my, well, I actually wrote a book when I was seven years old <laughs> called Arnold and Sam: The Two Dragons, and my my mom typed it up for me, and they even put it in the school library. And when I when I graduated sixth grade, they gave it back to me, and I could see that you know over all those years, uh, four or five people had actually checked it out of the school library. So <laughs> what kind of royalties awesome. do you get for that? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, the, the contract wording was, was very slippery. <laughs> and as it turns out... As they are. As, as they are, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, uh, around about that same time that uh, Tidbits was going on the web, uh, I wrote a book called The Nicest Way. This was a book about a word processor called Nicest Writer. I happened to be working for Nicest Software at the time, and due to sort of being in the right place at the right time. They were looking for somebody to write a book on this, uh, on this product, and Adam wasn't interested. And, uh, <laughs> this, at the time, we used Nysys for tidbits. Um, we loved Nysys. And to just give a little bit away, we're using it again now. That's right. Really? So huh? they, they said, you know, can you, can you tell us some authors that use your, your software that we could contact about get, you know, writing a book? And I said, well, you know, Adam is one, and I, I listed off a few others, and none of them were, were able or interested in doing it. So I'm like, well, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. Would, would you let me write a book? And they're like, eh, all right. <laughs> so I, I wrote the book, and, uh, and shortly thereafter, Tanya wrote a review of that book in Tidbits, and we had not met at this point. Uh, at, that, at this point, I still, I still thought Adam and Tanya were like these, you know, 
sub-deities. I mean, they were... Sorry. Um. (laughs) And they are. (laughs) Anyway, you know, I I idolize them, you know, And, and, and Tanya writes this review of my first book, and my mom couldn't have written a nicer review. I was just, I was so flattered. And, and then I came to Macworld and I met her and she's like, oh, Joe, you know what you should do is you should start, uh, you should start you know, advertising uh, the, the Amazon link to your book because then you can get a referral fee like an affiliate fee back. I'd never heard of this. I'm like, you mean the publisher is going to pay me and Amazon will also pay me for the same book? Blew my mind. So... <laughs> You know, the, my my start in in the in paper publishing, um, other than age seven, uh, is, is is all wrapped up in this in this world too. Okay, so then Tanya, you, you were heavily involved in tidbits and and other things, and then at one point, take control happens. Yes. Now was was this a re- reaction basically to what was happening in publishing at the time, just saying, you know, I see what the future is. It's not. This it's not the complex contracts. It's not the sometimes adversarial role <laughs> taken with the uh, author. Uh, that we're all in this game together. We want to do things quickly. We want people to be able to update things. Or was it just something like, yeah, we got to do something today. Let's do this. Well, well, your answer. The answer is yes and no. I'd say that there were three problems, three itches to scratch when we started the Take Control series in 2003. And itch number one was a little bit, oh, let's do something new. We're, we're just a little bored or, you hey, know, let's whatever. Yeah. yeah, let's do something fun with our friends. Um, itch number two was, I think everyone here knows how difficult it can be to make a living in online media. And uh, Tidbits was doing okay, but maybe not quite as comfortable <laughs> as we'd like it to be. So if there was another revenue source, that would be good. And itch number three was just what you were referring to, Chris. The bookstores want the books to be long so that they're wide, so they take up shelf space and are easier to sell. The software manufacturers keep putting out the software faster and faster. The people actually writing the books, actually my whole cohort, we keep getting older and having babies and, you know, stuff in our lives. And so these books are actually killing us. We cannot write for six weeks straight to finish a book so that it can be 800 pages long, so that it can be printed and put on UPS trucks and make it to Barnes & Noble when, guess what, folks? It will be obsolete. So something really did have to be done. And the great thing about pretty much all the writers even now and then in the Mac world, is we all actually know each other, more or less. We've worked on different projects together over the years, and we're, we're definitely much more friends than competitors. So when Adam and I, I'm not sure really who hatched up what part of the idea first, but when uh, we started calling people to see if they would kind of write books for us, you know, shorter e-books that they could write quickly, uh, we had absolutely no problem bringing on a group of people who were excited to work with us on this. And, and Joe, Joe, I'm not sure if he's the first one we called, but his book was, was the first one to be yeah. finished, which speaks to Joe because he, <laughs> he write, he's a machine. I mean, he's the most fabulously quick writer, and so, of course, his book was finished first, and, 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 and that, that was, well, was I, the, 
the birth of this thing. We thought Joe wrote, uh, take control of upgrading to, does anyone know which one it was in the audience? 2003, take control of upgrading to Panther. And we thought if this book sells a thousand copies in a year, this will have been a fun project and, you know, sort of worthwhile. And so we got that all set up. And guess what? By the next morning after we started selling the book, we had sold a thousand copies of this book. <laughs> so we thought, hmm, we, we might have a little bit of a business here. And, and thus this series of books take control of just pretty much anything. Podcasting, backing up your Mac, GarageBand, paperless office, online privacy, 1Password, Scrivener, you name it. <laughs> there might be a book about it. There's over a hundred of them. We can't even remember all of them. We try. Um, the series is now 11 years old, and we have been uh, trying to figure out how to make ebooks in this very agile world this whole time. Well, what is it like from the production end? Because I know, Adam, you think a lot about production. I know you think a lot about production as well. You know, Apple came out when they, when they had iBooks and then iBooks Author. And, you know, it was a nice talk, right? The demo was great where they said, hey, this is awesome. Anybody can create a book. And then people tried, and they found it, uh, maybe not everybody can cre right. create a book. So uh, I'm interested well, in all of your opinion well, on sort of what it's like to so produce it's, one. It's interesting. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've actually gone through, we're now on our third major production process iteration. Started out with Microsoft Word, um, which required some uh, funkiness behind the scenes in Word for Windows, actually, to make our PDFs fully linked up. That was pretty ugly. Um, then we moved to Pages when Pages got EPUB export. And Pages had some, some good features until Apple broke them in 4.3 um, and uh, forcing us to go back to 4.2 um, and still didn't do things necessarily entirely as we liked them. And now we're actually using Nicest Writer Pro um, once again. Um, and we have some wonderful macros that Joe has written that take our nicely formatted Nicest Writer Pro documents and turn them into Markdown. And we feed them into a service called LeanPub, which is a very fast, agile publishing service to get our, our EPUB and our Moby Pocket files out of. Um, and it's, it's been really interesting. You know, it takes a lot of time to figure these out and polish them and whatnot. But I think one of the things that we've always had as a core principle in terms of book production is that we want as little production to happen at the end as possible. Mm. So when Joe is writing a book, he is writing into a template that looks, it is, the final book. Right. You know, so, you know, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you put a fair amount of time and effort into thinking, does even this page look like the way I think it should, assuming things don't move around? Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes an editor will chide me, you know, don't, don't worry about page breaks yet because, you know, we're going to add and delete things and things are going to move around. But I am thinking about things, uh, you know, does, does this look like, is the right amount of text for a page? Is the screenshot going to fit here? Should I put it someplace else? Uh, all those sorts of things. And so, so we take, you know, so the authors are, are handing in books that are pretty close to finished. But that's when then Tanya takes a pass and really fine-tunes it. Well, we, we had a lot of experience with uh, the print publishing world before moving to the e-books. And when you're doing a print book, you really do think about your page breaks and the look of the page. And so we still try to bring bring that to the, the e-books. So 
the big challenge that we have, and and really all the publishers have with the ebooks, is uh, exporting into different formats. So our primary format is the PDF, and about sixty percent of our downloads are books in the PDF format. And the PDF is where you, as the publisher, you say what font you want, what font size, what margins. Uh, just exactly what the page is going to look like. You you control that. You create the PDF, and what you saw on the screen is exactly what your customer sees on on their screen. So as a publisher, you're really in control. Now, the other uh, two primary ebook formats right now would be uh, your EPUB. That's for the most part what you're downloading from Apple's iBook Store. That's what iBooks supports, and the other format is called the, the Moby Pocket, more or less, and that's what you would get from, say, Amazon. Uh, EPUB and Moby Pocket formats, fortunately for publishers, are fairly similar. So if you can make one, you can make the other pretty easily. But they, they don't really, those formats are not too interested in what the publisher wants the thing to look like. Those formats are meant so that the, the reader could pick the font. The, the reader could make the font bigger or make the font smaller or read the thing on an iPhone screen and have it sized down for the iPhone screen or read it on a, a fairly large tablet or a desktop computer and have it go big. So all the work we might do to make a PDF look quite nice basically just gets completely blown away by the EPUB or the Mobi Pocket because those formats don't care about that. They don't care if your text wraps around your screenshot or if your screenshot is where it should be or any of that. So our, our challenge is, is just to make all that work ideally without taking weeks and weeks and weeks because every, sometimes it feels like every minute we take on production is one more minute that gets us one minute closer to you know, Apple releasing a new version of whatever the software the book was about anyway. So we, we work very hard to refine that down, and, and I, could, I could talk about it for a very long time, but I won't. <laughs> Chris, you, you brought up iBooks author. And, yes. Uh, I wanted to say a word about that because this does demo really well, and you can create these beautiful interactive books for your iPad with you know, movies and animations and all this cool stuff, and they're really nice. And we have worked, we have tried it out. We have, we have a book on it, in fact, that uh, Michael Cohen wrote. But, but the problem with iBooks Author, as, as compared to what we do and, and what all the other serious uh, authors and publishers we have ever worked with do, is it was really designed to be used by one person. Uh, so you, you sit down and you create your thing in iBooks Author, and it's fine. And you click publish, and there, hey, it's available in the, the iBook store. More or less, I'm yada yada a few dozen <laughs> details. Hands. Okay, but uh, that's not how real authors work. Real authors collaborate. I will write a draft. I will send it to my editor. My editor will mark it up with changes and comments and send it back. And I'll mess with those changes, and it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes dozens of times. And then the next editor takes it and does the same thing. Maybe another editor, and you know, a tech reviewer. I mean, it's not just one person sitting and writing a book and you're done. And every time somebody touches a manuscript, the, per the other people need to know what changed. 
if there's a query, you have to be able to you know, talk to each other in the process of making an, a, a book. And iBooks author doesn't allow that sort of collaboration, the change yeah. tracking and the commenting and all that. So Apple, see, you know, Apple positions this as, well, this is a great thing to make textbooks with. Yeah, and the, the textbooks that you create with iBooks Author are beautiful, but do you really think a, a textbook is going to be written start to finish by a single person, not edit? Like, I, the, the process just doesn't make sense for me. So the, the tool, I mean, the, the, conceptually it's a great idea, but it won't work for us until Apple enhances the tool to the point where it's really, it's really, you know, really going to work for teams. Well, do you think Apple is going to do that, or is this just sort of like, we want to be in this space, we did it, you don't want to do that, use pages, or are they just sort of like, say, yeah, we kind of, never well, mind. Well, the, the other uh, objection to iBooks Author that we would have, the people who've been here all along will remember Adam saying that we had tidbits on every service we could get it on back in, you know, 19, 1993. Yeah. yeah. And same with the e we sell them through our own cart. They're on Amazon. They're on the iBook store. They're in Barnes & Noble store. They're all over the place. If you want to create a book in iBooks Author and sell it in the iBook store, that's good because that's your only choice. You're not allowed to take that book and sell it anywhere else. And, and, and to be clear, because I think people actually don't necessarily realize the magnitude of some of these, some of these numbers, 92% um, of our sales are direct. 92% of Take Control readers buy Take Control books from us. 8% buy on Amazon, O'Reilly, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, Kobo, and the iBookstore. The iBookstore is about 4% of our sales. So it is a drop in the bucket. And so whenever anyone kind of goes, oh, well, the iBookstore is great. No, the iBookstore is money we don't leave on the sidewalk. Um, it is not a business model. And, so, and this is really true for a whole lot of people. Um, you know, if you're an individual author doing one thing, it can be a really good opportunity because they handle a lot of stuff for you and it's pretty coherent. But if you're trying to build a business around it, you're totally at Apple's mercy and it's not a very big market. So Joe, as, as an author who's a largely freelance, although I know you guys work with him, if you were starting out, you wanted to write a, a digital book, regardless whether technical or a, a novel or something else, where would you, what would you do if you wanted your book out there and you wanted people to buy it? You're, you're an author, you've got the talent, what are you going to do? All right, let, let me, uh, I'll, since, since I can't give you an objective answer about technical <laughs> books because I've written 50 of them and I, like, I, I can't sort of undo that history in my head, let's, let's imagine it's a novel. Because okay. I'm sure I've thought about writing a novel. So uh, I have worked with a number of... Uh, you know, conventional print publishers as well as digital publishing, but they don't deal in fiction. So they don't, they, I, I don't have, I have no reputation as a fiction author. If I wrote a novel, uh, what I would, I mean, first of all, I would find a good editor because before I present uh, a book to an agent, if I go through an agency or to a publisher, if I go direct to a publisher, I, I want it to be good and, and I've, I've read, written enough books and have enough... <laughs> <laughs> you know, terrible mistakes corrected by somebody that I don't, you know, I'm just not going to put out my own stuff without, without that filter. So I'd, I'd find a good editor, 
And, and then I would, I would first try the conventional, traditional path. Uh, I would say, okay, here's some, here's some publishers that do this kind of thing. Do they accept submissions directly from, from... And I would say, okay, look, I'm not a new author. I have this reputation. Admittedly, I don't do fiction, but here's a little sample. What do you think? And if I didn't get any bites, then I'd go the next step and try to find an agent to represent me. And again, it's a process that you go through that you don't have a guarantee that you'll find an agent at all or a good one or that they'll be able to find, you know, find your book at home. And I'd try. I'd give it an honest try for maybe a year doing the things that ordinary people do. If at the end of that year I was convinced that I have a great, great, great book and no other, no other venue would, would do the publishing for me, then I would consider self-publishing in... What, you know, whichever, whichever way. The thing is, when you self-publish, yes, it's easy, and yes, you get to keep all the profits, you're also responsible for all the marketing. And I don't like marketing. I'm not any good at it. <laughs> I want somebody else to do the marketing in my book. I want somebody else to figure out the cover art and how to advertise it and how to publicize it. Uh, I- I'll-, I'll do the writing and I'll-, and I'll, you know, sit and talk with you about my book, but I'm not, I'm not into marketing. So... I would highly prefer somebody else did that. I, l- I look at sort of as publisher, I tend to look at, at sort of the overall ebook market a fair amount, um, just to kind of see what people are doing. And the one thing that I would add to what Joe has said is that um, there are, you know, the iBookstore, Amazon Kindle Select Publishing. Uh, there are a lot of ways to actually do self-publishing now, which. It really is the term self-publishing as what you may have heard in the past, vanity publishing, you know, where you're paying money for someone to kind of make you a book, um, that you really can do all the stuff you need to do yourself. And, you know, in conjunction with that on the marketing side, it would be the situation where you would want to have a blog. You would want to, ha- you would want to be on Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus and, and, and all of that. And you would want, need a presence. And you'd frankly need to come up with a, a marketing shtick. You know, that's, there's no way around that. And publishers have to do exactly the same thing. The advantage they have is they have an audience. Right. And so any way that you could get an audience, that's what you're going to try to do. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of marketing, what do, you, what do you guys do for Take Control? <laughs> I mean, other than word of mouth, because as, as Joe suggested, you are, you are deities. And so people <laughs> know who you are and respect you. And, and basically anything coming out of any one of you. Chris, it's, it's mind control. Is that how it works? No one will yes. be permitted to leave here without buying control. at least one book. Oh, it is mind control. Yes. So, so we've tried a lot of things over the years. And the smartest, best producing thing that we've ever done is to build a mailing list. So we, we call it Take Control Announce. And whenever we publish a new book, we send email to Take Control Announce. Take Control Announce is now somewhere in the thirty-one to 32,000 people range. And that is absolutely huge because those are people who have bought books from us and presumably liked the books because they've stayed on the mailing list, um, and they are interested in hearing about more. Those are the best possible customers you can have. Going to find random new people, way harder. There's, in, the, in the industry, there's something called a, you know, cost of customer acquisition cost. How much money do you have to spend to get a new customer? I don't want to spend anything to get a new customer. You know, when it comes right down to it, I'm cheap. So you know, the whole concept of paying huge amounts for advertising or, or that sort of thing, if you're going to get a customer who's going to buy a $10 or $15 book, you can't spend very much on them um, or you're losing a lot of money. So, so that email list and, and knowing the customer um, and is, is really, really key. The other big thing that we have done, um, we have updates. So when Joe writes right. a book, 
and something changes, we produce an update. If it's a minor update, we give it away for free. If it's a major update, we'll give people a discount. But here's the thing. The system we built allows us to say, let me send email to all the people who bought Joe, the first edition of Joe's Take Control of Backing Up Your Mac. But I want to do even better than that. I want to send all the people who bought it in the last three months, and I want to give them a free update. Um, to the second edition because they just bought it. I mean, it's right. really kind of mean to make them pay for it again, even the discount. But that allows us to, to really talk to people. So we're always giving little bits of things away. We're always giving people discounts. And then when we go to them with an entirely new book, hey, Joe just published Take Control of Your Passwords, people think, hey, that's great. And you know, just last week they gave me a free update to Take Control of Backing Up Your Mac. I'm feeling kindly towards them. So... Most of our marketing efforts really focus on the people who are in our circle. And we're always trying to expand the circle, but we do so relatively organically. We don't attempt to pay for that a lot because it's never worked. Well, and honestly, none of us have, you know, marketing degrees or... Classics. You know, so... <laughs> Philosophy. So I think, I think it's more, um, for me... I'm sure this isn't exactly true, but I actually see all 31,000 people on the mailing list as a personal friend. And, and coming to Macworld sometimes supports that because people will sometimes just come out of the woodwork and remind me yeah. that I had dinner with them in 1997 <laughs> and, and you know, we exchanged photos of our kids or, or fish or something and, and that we are friends and we, we, we are. But so when I write these things, I'm always thinking, okay, I, I, I can't recommend this book unless I would recommend it to my friend. So a lot of it is... is um, it's more personal. We we are literally a mom and pop, so so you know maybe change, changes the changes the yeah, approach. Yeah, it, change, it right. really does change. We the are dynamic. not a corporate entity. We're, we're just not you know Verizon or Apple or <laughs> anything like that. We're 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 two we're two people. But and, you're two and people some cool with thirty two thousand friends, which you know most of us don't have. <laughs> so, so, so the key, yeah. really, the answer is step one: acquire thirty-two thousand friends. Thirty-two thousand friends. Well, and, and to be honest, the thirty-two thousand friends, where it started, was the fifty thousand or so people who read tidbits. You know that that I mean, nowadays, you know, tidbits and take control pretty much complete overlap. But initially, that was our audience. And so, if you're starting out and you don't have fifty-two thousand friends or whatever it is. It's harder, you know, well, but, but you well, but I mean, you how can, hard is it really to spend, let's say, 10 years giving away tons of information every week? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long play. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say that we have never really had a, a business plan. <laughs> <laughs> and yet somehow it worked out. Well, I think the other thing, too, and if, if people aren't familiar with, with Take Control and how it started, that it was very much a, a breath of fresh air, that technical books at the time, as you said, were thick, they were expensive. They went out of date very quickly. Your model was, originally, at least the, the first several books, or things that came out were short. Yes. It's very much to the point, and oh, cheap. Oh, the days. Right, so, well, the whole thing was a bunch of authors <laughs> sitting down together. I mean, we didn't really sit down together because we were all over the, the planet, and it's before we had Skype and Google yeah. Hangouts and things. But we were really like, okay, how could we reinvent this? So it worked for us. And a few of the things that we we reinvented, actually, since, you know, as the publisher, uh, I can say that now I know why publishers do it that way. (laughs) You know, we we did make what were some operational mistakes. Um, But by and large, we really wanted to be... uh, to enjoy ourselves. Well, one of the big ones... So, yeah, no, we want to write an 80... 
instead of being forced to write a 20-chapter book where each chapter can only be exactly 16 pages long, so you don't... You don't <laughs> Chris rolls his eyes. You don't, yeah. you don't get to actually get into the depth that you want to. You don't get to get to the interesting part of what you want to say because you only have 16 pages. And, oh, by the way, there'll be you know four screenshots. Because do you know how much paper costs these days? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so, so we, we allowed authors to go really in-depth or, or it just doesn't matter. It's an ebook. If the author really, really, really wants the sidebar about some really obscure topic that nobody will care about, but the author really wants it, fine, put it in, and, and it'll turn out that I'm wrong, and everyone it. did want it. Or, <laughs> well, you know, if it just doesn't, it doesn't quite matter in the same way. A lot yeah. of the reason why we have to put the page breaks in the PDF is so I can mutter about how <clears throat> it's getting a little long. Maybe <laughs> we should take out that, you know, that paragraph that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm kind of a big offender there. <laughs> well, you know, I want to say, yeah, I, I write, you know, I, I aim for 80 pages and then I write 120 and whatever, but but it's always because I'm out of time. I, I don't have enough time to make it shorter. I just, anyway. That's why sometimes our books get shorter in later editions. They do, yes, absolutely, yeah. because then I have time to go back and edit more. But, you know, if Mac World assigns me to do an article, they'll say, you have 800 words or whatever it is. They're different lengths. And so... Um, I, I could go over that, but I know that if I go over that, number one, I'm not going to get paid more. And number two, uh, it, might, it might still survive at that length when it's published online, but it's going to get cut down if it's put in the print magazine. Sometimes even you know, a lot more. <laughs> yeah. uh, the way Take Control was originally pitched to me is it's just like writing a feature article for Macworld, only even longer. You get to go in more detail. You're not going to have that constraint of you got to stop at X number of words or pages. And so what we're giving readers is a book that is maybe the length of an entire Macworld magazine or, or more. They're shorter than they used to be. Um, but only but about the same price, you know, as like cover price for a single issue, give or take. Um, but you're getting a lot more detail on one, one focused topic. And not only that, but unlike Macworld Magazine, we can do this process of updating it like, we, you, know, like you update software. If the situation changes, uh, we can now send out an update, maybe for free or maybe paid, and your, your information is always up to date. So I, I always liked thinking of it of, as like writing a Macworld article, only I get, to, I get to say as much as I really need to say about a topic. Yeah, I think what, what some people don't understand is... is they think of writing as like lugging boxes, right? And so you have a pallet of boxes, and you say you have to put 40 boxes from here to here. Um, you rarely want to say, you know, but I'd really like to lug 60 boxes from here to here. What you really want to do is, no, I'd just rather lug 20. In the case of being a writer, I've always found it much harder to write short than yep. to write long. You would much yep. rather have more pages. So one of the conflicts for me, and I'm sure every other author mm-hmm. in the world, when you're dealing with a paper publisher, is like, I need more Pages. Is there anything you can do to the layout? Can you shrink? Can you do this, that, and the other just to give me more words because I'm not covering this in the depth that I think it needs to be covered? And you try to have a relationship with the editor where you, maybe they'll relent and give you a little bit more. They'll, they'll work with you. But, you know, let's face it, paper costs money. And, and they said, look, this is not the great American novel. Sorry, I know you want 600 pages, but you've got 250, so use some discipline. Suck it up. Yeah. Buddy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, how many? Speaking of traditional publishers, and, and we don't need to name any names about anybody, but generally, do they get it? I mean, are they still trying to force this paper model, or are they sort of 
are they still kind of dabbling with e-publishing? Yet, but yet paper is really where they'd like to be back to. I think that's a very tricky question, and the reason is, and I understand this to a certain extent. So, as a publisher, as any business. You have a business. You make your money in a certain way, and you know how to make your money in that way. And so, when you see that things are changing, you want to try those things. You want to dip your toe in there. You may even want to jump on a whole hog, but you can't stop the thing that makes you the money. Right. And so, you know, you know, two names of names. You know, O'Reilly and Associates, uh, Peach Pit. They are doing good stuff with ebooks, but they still are earning a lot of money on print. Right. And so it's not that they don't get it, but the company as a whole is not oriented in that direction. The company has to always be thinking: we still earn a lot of money from print books, you know. So we do this stuff over here, but we still earn a lot of money in print books. And so they're they're in constantly a difficult situation. And O'Reilly, in particular, knows ebooks well, and they understand it pretty well. Um, and I don't, I don't have a sense of like how their revenues break out, but I do know that they are still always, always looking at those channels of how many are they selling through Amazon, how many are they selling through Barnes and Noble, and the print publishers, um, when Borders uh, went under a couple of years ago, I forget exactly yeah. when, um, print publishers they all took a twenty percent hit in sales. Because they lost however many 500 border stores. Yeah, that was always the big client you were pushing right. for. Right? And, you know, Barnes & Noble's bigger, but still, you know, bar, you know, board 500 stores. So that was a huge, huge problem for these companies. And, you know, I think they definitely want to work their way out of it, but they really are built up around the channel, the reps. How do they deal with that? And so they're, they're, they're feeling their way, you know. Whereas we have always had, frankly, the advantage in this regard of being, you know, digital from you know day one. I mean, we've actually dabbled with a little bit more print on demand and gone away from it because it's just too much trouble. Right. Okay. Let me. I'm just going to make sure I'm reading my watch correctly. Yes, I am. Good. <laughs> okay. So the wrap-up question. Uh, now you put on the pointy hats with the stars on them, Woo. and you say next five years, where's digital publishing going and where's paper going? Or take it out to ten if you like. Well, let me let me say we 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 have had some discussions, and we are we, not prepared we're, we're, for a product announcement or anything. <laughs> we're not done saying how it's going to be yet. That's right. So just that's a, just right. a, we, to be clear on that. Okay. <laughs> All right. But that's the thing is uh, we it, it's not like well we reinvented publishing and that's it it's reinvented so we're done. Uh, right. We we are aware of trends. You know we we participate in the internet so we are aware that there is this trend that people want shorter chunks of content. They don't like to read long things, and especially younger people don't like to read longer things. And we would like to say they should get off our lawns. Yes, please. <laughs> when we were kids, we had to... Never mind. Uh, so we, we, we have noticed that. We have had discussions about... And now, so what can we do about that? Because we're used to writing books that are whatever, you know, 80 to 150 pages long, um, give or take... And so how, you know, how do we make money uh, making shorter content? We have also observed the trend that people love to share information freely on the Internet. They're not so happy about paying for things, again, especially younger people. <laughs> we are aware of this. Uh, we pay attention to it. We would like to continue earning money for the work that we do. 
Uh, so we don't want to just say, oh, hey, you know what? We're just going to start writing everything in 140 characters and give it all away. Done, because we got to feed our families. Uh, but we, we are going to try to evolve our process in a way that respects our existing readers, respects the length of what we need to, you know, how much information we need to put out there to, to tell our story, and that also respects the, the way the internet is evolving. Joe, Joe just summarized what we talked about last night really well. So, um, but it, it's, it's true that, that we, we, see the, we see these trends and we are adjusting, and I think we can actually adjust relatively well because we're digital. Right. You know, that when you are locked into print, you can't do it. You just can't because you have so many constraints. And the, you know, we will be seeing you know, more people reading on devices. We will be seeing the EPUB format increasing in popularity. Right now, we're in a funny position. Because we started with PDF, um, right now our percentages work down pretty clearly to 60% PDF, 30% EPUB, and 10% uh, Moby Pocket. So people do not read our stuff on Kindles very much. Um, but we anticipate that will be increasing a little bit as well, just as the Kindle becomes more popular. And, um, and PDF will likely be going down, you know, that the fidelity of the page isn't as important going over time. But, but all of these things, you know, I think the... I do believe we'll be seeing more people figuring out how to be authors on their own right, that that you know the the publishing in general is becoming more democratic mm-hmm. and i think that's a generally a good thing um but i am concerned about what it will do to the economics of the industry you know as joe said mm-hmm. the price of things is dropping but not for good reasons um you look at the app store it's been a it's been a race to the bottom and now we've got you know games that don't believe they can succeed if they have a price at all and, and, you know, Tanya has an app that, oh, it's a free app, but, you know, to get the points you get in the app, you know, you have to give us, you know, your location at all, every time of the day and be open to advertising, you know, and, and we can break off, you know, anything they want, you know, that that's how their business model works. We don't want that. We don't want, we don't want to fall down that hole. We want to keep it a pretty clear exchange of money for, for information value. So, you know, so I think we need to all kind of be figuring out ways of, of keeping the price up in some ways just because authors got to eat. Right. Okay, and um, I'm afraid that's our time, but this is the opportunity to do the quick plug for your things. Joe, <laughs> we'll start with you. Well, I am the author of... Everything. Two. Take control of... I, I've, Six, I, I can't... I know. There are so many. I, I write a lot of books, Okay. Um, so I wrote a book on online privacy, a book on passwords, about backing up your Mac, uh, paperless iCloud. office, iCloud. Uh, I'm in, in 10 minutes, I have to be over there someplace to do a talk on Apple Mail, which I wrote a book about. And it's a great book, and please buy it. Um, go to TakeControlBooks.com. You can see our whole catalog. Uh, contrary to uh, appearances, I did not write all the Take Control books, just <laughs> as Adam does not write all of Tidbits. I wrote a lot of them. And uh, you can find help on quite a lot of topics related to uh, your digital life. And along with you know, publishing Take Control Books, which Tanya does in many ways more with, um, I also publish Tidbits. So if you go to tidbits.com, you know, it's Mac news and editorial, uh, iOS stuff, Internet stuff, as we find it interesting. We, we tend to be more eclectic, more in-depth, 
Uh, we do not cover just the latest news uh, as news because everyone else has done that already. We're trying to you know, get behind the story a little bit and understand what's going on. I, I'm not sure what else there's left, <laughs> left to say. Um, uh, the take Your personal blog. <laughs> my personal blog. Yeah, right. I occasionally write a Tidbits article. <laughs> um, the Take Control books, uh, if you're interested in going in-depth on a particular topic, we might have a, a, a book. We uh, have the book about 1Password. We have a book about Scrivener. We have a book about LaunchBar. And I really... Um, spend a lot of time on the books to make sure that kind of a normal person who's not super geeky could read this book and really go somewhere with it and very feel very privileged actually that I've gotten to work with some really neat authors and and if there's there. a, and if you look for a book and it's not there send us email we Excellent. take suggestions. Yep. Suggestions absolutely taken. I'll write you a personal book. It might take me a day or two because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, I'd like to thank Joe Kissel, Adam Angst, and Tanya Angston. Thank you very much for thank attending. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Chris.